Come on. Thank you, Tom and Andrea. Right? Life, life as everyday missionaries. Life when we ask and pray, God, what are you inviting us into? And then seeing how he answers that request. Every moment of every day, there's these opportunities. And so that's where we're going to be going in the text. Before we get there, I just want to highlight something coming next week. And then, uh, and then something happening tonight. So next week, we are doing this family-style gathering. Uh, we set out to ask, how do we continue to reflect our multi-generational family? How, how do we embody that more fully? And so uh, if you remember, Bruce uh, was our teacher a few weeks ago. He's our kids teacher from uh, two Sundays out of the year. And so we're inviting him in again next week. So Bruce, are you ready? You feeling good? And Bruce loves to be called out. Fred, thank you for that. So there's the, there's the joke. Yes, I appreciated it, Fred. Um, and, and it comes from this heart that we long to be this multi-generational family to worship and learn together. And so kids from kindergarten to fourth grade will join us, uh, or kids uh, starting in kindergarten. And we're just, again, looking at one of the meals Jesus ate, why he ate them, and who he ate them with, and why it matters. Predicated on these two values for us in kids' ministry the way kids begin their journey with God has an extraordinary impact. You even heard Tom and Andrea reference that, that impact of future fathers, mothers, future uh, business leaders, future homemakers, right, are being raised up in these places. And then God has positioned parents to be the greatest influence in a kid's spiritual life, the impact that a parent gets to have on their kid. Um, and so Aaron's vision is to engage kids and empower parents along this ever-increasing, joyful, lifetime journey with Jesus. And so uh, looking forward to next week with whatever energy might be in this space with the addition of those kids. Uh, and then tonight, we're, uh, we're on our third of four sessions. Um, it's been really encouraging uh, for me to hear stories. Uh, the first session was about identity, and we, we had uh, someone share an anonymous letter just about uh, that's in our church family, what it means for them to wrestle with same-sex attractions and how they found healing in Jesus and how they found healing in his name and finding him satisfying. Um, And then then, uh, last week we heard uh, someone who has someone in their family that's wrestling with gender dysphoria and so what it was like for them uh, to navigate that and to grieve and to, to demonstrate their longing to love and invite them ultimately to find life with Jesus. And so tonight, um, we're, we're talking about everyday missionaries and, and what it means to respond to the distortions with the design of sexuality. Tonight, there's a, a, a married couple, a husband and wife, that's going to share about their story of finding healing and restoration in the midst of um, challenging circumstances. And then uh, we'll look at a few texts. And wouldn't you know it, we're probably going to look at, uh, we'll look at 1 Corinthians, will be one of them. But uh, this constant call to look rather than through the window and judge others, this constant call to look in the mirror, to recognize the depth of depravity we have, and then from that invite others into life with Jesus. And so you can text TABLE to 888-824-1608. There's some questions, and at the end of every session we've done some Q&A. And so we're jumping into the text Where we've been in Luke, we saw the introduction. We saw that he is God incarnate through the baptism and genealogy. We saw him overcome Satan. We saw his response in Capernaum and Nazareth and how people responded. Some wanted to kill him. Some wanted to just see the tips and tricks that he provided. And then he begins doing his ministry of his power, 
over disease, nature, sin, and death. His message is radical. This radical thinking and radical living and loving. And then we see followers begin to emerge. And we see these characteristics. Levi leaving everything. Peter, a self-identified sinner, saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, when he recognizes who Jesus is. And then when we meet the women, the woman compared to the Pharisee, we see Jesus' followers aren't necessarily always who we'd expect. But that constant theme of recognizing uh, this, this guy. And so this morning, there's a beautiful turn that continues to happen. And, and, and the image that came to my mind was when, uh, when I would change Eden's diapers from time to time, where I'd be holding Eden. But every once in a while, do you remember this when you were, you were a parent maybe? When, when your, your kid's stomach would just start rumbling and you just knew this was going to be an explosive one, right? There, there's just that feeling, just starts rumbling and you're like, man, Casey, take, take Eden real quick. There's something coming that she wants to give you, right? I mean, just, there's just that rumble, that start. This morning, the text, there's a turn Because now Jesus is going to tell these guys. They've watched him do miracles. They've watched him do some crazy stuff. He turns to them and says, it's your turn. And so here's the text. Chapter 9, 1 to 9 is where we're headed this morning. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Man, Jesus, heavy. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch, not Herod the great Herod Antipas, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because he said, Eden, you gonna be okay there? Chomping on some M&Ms over here. Just, <laughs> ah, do I get distracted from time to time? Yeah. Never happens. Never happens. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared. Others, that one of the prophets of old, had risen. And Herod said, well, John, I, I beheaded that dude, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This beautiful turn that that feels so counterintuitive to the way we maybe see life operating. Instead of saying, bring people to me, Jesus says, I'm actually trusting others. And he trusts us to speak and act on his behalf. He actually trusts others. And he trusts us to speak and act on his behalf. So pray with me and, and we'll... Dig in to, uh, to what God has for us this morning. God, you are so good. You are so gracious. Uh, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. That you're working in our stories. You're working in the stories of people all around us. And you're using us as conduits of your grace in that process of life transformation. Happening one life at a time. Help us see a little bit more fully how that has been and is your heart to deploy us. There is no plan B to share the hope and truth and joy of your gospel. Always for your glory we pray. Amen. So here's here's where he starts. Jesus trusts others. He trusts us with the gospel. 
And, and he doesn't say, bring them to me. Instead, he says, you go to them. And he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority and he sent them out. He sent them out. Of, of all the guys that you would envision who could draw a crowd, I would imagine it was Jesus. Uh, of all the ways he could have chosen to organize his methodology, instead of saying, hey, you guys, why don't, you know, I got this marketing pamphlet that uh, I had a marketing director create for me. Why don't you go pass that out for me? Or instead, I'm God. I don't need a marketing director. Here's the pamphlet I made. Here, go send this out. Collect a few people. Bring them in. Hey, we rented this Coliseum over here. We're going to pack it out and go fill the seats. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of camels. So can you put on a camel parking vest? And you put on a camel parking vest. And we're going to maneuver how these camels can be. Because it's going to be packed in here. And then, then we're going to get this rock band. Can you th- what's like a rock band you think of? Is there any band you think of? What is it? Seether? Seether? I've never heard of Seether, Jason. What, what is Seether? Have you guys heard of Seether? You could have said Journey. You could have said Led Zeppelin. Skillet. Come on. Well, for Jason, it'd be Seether. Metallica. Come on. Right? If you're, and then maybe sprinkle in some faith because Jesus is maybe going to convert them. Bring the best rock band you can. Pack the Coliseum out. If there was a guy that could have done it, who would it have been? Jesus. And yet, his methodology is so significantly different. He said, instead of you bring them to me, he tells his disciples, you go to them. And then he tells them, I'm going to give you authority to speak on my behalf. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. So he gives them authority. He trusts them to speak on his behalf. And they want to share the kingdom of God. Now, what exactly did they know? I don't think they knew the full story at this point, right? We heard in Luke what Jesus had declared. That he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to the blind, and set liberty at those who are oppressed. And they, they had a picture of what that was going to be. So they, they didn't fully get exactly this kingdom they were proclaiming. But what did they get? It sure felt like they understood the king is here. And they began sharing that message. The guy we've been waiting for, this Messiah, this king is here. And they began sharing about the arrival of the kingdom of God and how Jesus has come to bring this good news. And then he gives them power. He says to confirm, I think, again, to speak on his behalf. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and to heal. And so uh, I'm convinced. We see it in the New Testament. We, We pray. We long for God to heal. If anyone among you is sick... We, we would ask, come to the elders, and the elders would love to pray and intercede on your behalf that God might do a work in your life. We pray, I, I believe in healing. We're going to see that continued in Luke. And yet, and yet there's something different about what he gives to these apostles. There's more power that he gives to these guys to demonstrate uh, the spiritual healing he's going to give. And so there is that beauty of what we see happening here in the apostles, but that desire to heal and see God heal, I don't think has gone away. 
And he continues. He trusts others with the gospel. And then he begins giving instructions on how he wants to be represented. And he starts just by with this call, trust God with your needs. And don't let this other stuff get in the way. And he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. What's he saying? Trust God for your provision. I'm going to send you out and trust that God is going before you. He is making this way and and you will be provided for. So I don't think he's saying for us, don't have a car, don't have a house, but instead, don't let that stuff get in the way of seeing God as the ultimate provider for the things in your life as we keep moving forward. And don't use our promoting of the gospel for our personal gain. Don't use, as you promote the gospel, this for your own personal gain. He says, take, no, take nothing, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. I think he's anticipating this is going to start gaining some traction. And if you roll into the studio apartment, 700 square feet with a little stamp of a yard, and then maybe someone, as you begin sharing about this hope of the kingdom, says, hey, I get this 10,000 square foot palace. You should come hang in there for a little bit. Stay where you are. Don't use the promotion of the gospel for your personal gain. And, and I think, again... We see later, uh, don't hear me say that I'm not thankful. I'm incredibly thankful you guys allow some of our pastoral staff to be allocated, remunerated for our roles. Don't hear me say that people who publish, uh, faith leaders who publish books, ought not, we not, ought not buy those books and, and continue to supplement their pursuit. I don't think that's what he's saying. Instead, it, what, what, what strikes me is maybe... Um, Someone who manipulates uh, and says, hey, if you just give me some seed money, I'm going to send you a handkerchief with some sweat from my head on it. Just put that on your body somewhere and you'll be healed. Feels like he's, he's, he's telling us, don't, don't, <laughs> don't use promoting the gospel for personal gain. Instead, we just keep moving forward and trust that God is providing And then, do not be afraid to make clear to those who reject the consequences of their decision. That third instruction he gives. And wherever they do not receive you, where you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Which feels heavy. And what it seems to to be saying is there's an understanding that as you move forward, there might be some resistance or fear that creeps up in your heart. Continue to move forward. And so what, what might be some of those obstacles uh, that might cause fear in us? What are the challenges we might face? I, I just wonder for some of us, we're just maybe not sure what to say. And, and Luke doesn't tell us, but I can't help but wonder. He, it's not the point he doesn't tell us, but I can't help but wonder what these disciples are feeling. As he sends them out, are some excited, nervous? Where are they at in this process? Are they telling Jesus, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but we're fishermen. We're not the experts in the room. This is your gig. We're not the experts. We're not sure what to say. Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but I got a C minus in my communications class. Like, I'm, this is just not my gift. It's just not my skill. They're in their, they're in their early teens, 20s. And so I just wonder, 
what are they feeling in this moment? The challenges to articulate the gospel, maybe opposition from those confronted with their sin. You know, when you usually tell someone, hey, there's only room for one person to sit on the throne of your heart, there might be some opposition in that process. And he gives them instructions on how to handle that. Another one for me, resistance from those denying objective truth. How do you have conversations when it appears that I'm able to believe whatever my heart might want me to believe and there's this shifting sand about convictions? How do you have and navigate conversations? And there's resistance then if you attempt to claim, hey, you know, I think there's an objective reality that we live in. And then fourth, uh, inevitably viewed as arrogant or narrow-minded. David, you're, David, you're just not inclusive. David, you're just intolerant for not allowing more ways to enter eternity. You keep saying Jesus is the only way and there's faith in him. You're just arrogant and narrow-minded, David. And so Jesus instructs his disciples, understanding that would be some of what they might face. And then he continues... Because here's the beauty. What happens? His plan works. How do we know? Well, we see the disciples go and share. Here's what we see. They represent him. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And how far did that news spread? Ah, news spread all the way to Herod. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. Fishermen just going around talking to people. Just your everyday, ordinary, vocational aspirations, living life in their Monday to Saturday, and the news spread. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Did I kill that guy? Did John get raised from the dead? Or is it Elijah or prophets of old? But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him in a positive way. We're going to see at the end of Luke, maybe in a not so positive way. So here's the prayer we often ask around here that you heard Tom and Andrea declare. It's a prayer I I, I long for you guys to ask. Because we make our appointments, right? I know where I'm going to be at 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. I have my calendar. It's full of things going on. All the activities, soccer games, baseball games. And yet, in the midst of that, do you believe there's a God who's working in and through all those circumstances and relationships for his glory and actually has purpose for you in that? So around here, we say, God, what are you inviting me into today? And so uh, I want to spend a few minutes unpacking what I think is in this beautiful text that is the heart of Hillcrest, that we long to be people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. Because is Bruce paid to do this? No, he's going to be up here next week sharing with us. He's got teaching gifts and he loves our church family. Was Gary paid to do this this morning? No, but what it means to be in a family, a church family moving forward. So How's that look? What exactly is evangelism? And you see the big, bold words on there? No guilt. Because there's a, a possibility, a temptation that what might creep up in our hearts in this very moment is, ugh, 
I'm not the expert. I got a C minus in my communications class. What do I know? I don't have the depth of experience. Instead, Jesus trusts his disciples with the greatest message. And so it's directly correlated. Our promotion of Christ is connected to our desperation we have for him. The great theologian Tommy Boy once said, he said, the greatest salesman is a happy customer. The greater joy we find in Jesus inevitably leads to an expression of our hope and joy in telling and sharing about him. So I'm going to put up two definitions. A lot of words, but I think you'll get the gist. Here's what evangelism is. Out of our joy in Jesus, intentionally building relationships with those that have yet to treasure Jesus. With the hopes that they will choose to treasure him because they see happiness in the life we have with him. You actually might be in this room on someone's pray watch list. They're actually praying for your life. They're actually praying that you would see Jesus in and through maybe some of the love they have for you. And then what's discipleship? Same thing. Out of the joy in Jesus, we intentionally build relationships with those who treasure Jesus with the hopes that they will choose to treasure him more because they see the happiness we have in him. There is the journey of discipleship, this heart for relationship. But again, what's it predicated on? No guilt. No guilt. Instead, it always starts with thinking deeply, rightly about who God is and then all who genuinely love Christ inevitably want to share that with others. You guys remember the cop story last week? And I can't tell you how many people came up and told me, I knew it was cops. I knew you were talking about cops in Milwaukee. The custard place, similar to Culver's. Anyway, better. better. There you go, better. And Jesus' love is most effectively shared in the context of relationships. And so here's the movement. Evangelism to the cross to discipleship. And what it feels like we've done in Western evangelical Christianity is we've made it all about crossing a line. We've made it all about this, this and hear me say, it, this is a beautiful heart change, right? We've made it about, if I don't seal the deal and help someone cross over, I've somehow, I've missed it, I've failed, I haven't done what I've needed to do. Instead, we're trying to just back up the train one step and see it actually beginning by building trust and gaining, gaining trust in the relationships we share life with. Are you guys with me? Am I just blowing hot air right now? Man, because I... <coughs> and and, and I, don't, I don't know where this lands on you. For me, this is so fundamental to our, to our heart around here. Because I watch, I watch this church become a singing and teaching event. I just I mean, even, even so far as paying... Paying musicianal ringers to come in and have a rocking concert that gets put on. And, and, and it just becomes this singing and teaching event. Rather than the people of God gathering weekly under the authority of his word. To tell stories from people in the family. To sing songs to God's glory. And then what do we do every single Sunday when we leave? Are you with me? Yeah, we share it. Every Sunday, we're sent back out to be the living proof of our God in the relationships we hang with. We actually get to declare God's work in our life. And does that story end? 
I prayed a prayer, I crossed the line, is the story done? We actually say, man, there's this ongoing spiritual transformation that continues, and sometimes that's a lot harder. Why? Because now I'm aware of all the areas of brokenness that I have, and I go, I didn't realize I was this messed up and depraved. But then, God continues to help move us, red line, till he returns or calls us home. So, what's that look like here at Hillcrest? Hear me say, I think it still does look like church invites in this context. This would be what some perceive as church attending a building. We understand it's far more than that. But does it look like invites into a Sunday morning gathering? I think so. But how much more when it looks like an invite into your house for coffee, for dinner, actually inviting into life? And then... It's not simply about what we do, but who we are. It's not simply about checking boxes about what we do, but rather in our vocations, your vocations matter. The the way you work is unto the Lord. Homemakers and the way you care for your homes, your vocations, your lives matter. Because it's not just about what you do and the four spiritual laws and, and sealing some kind of deal, but rather just your life as a follower of Christ continuing to grow. And then evangelism is not about adding something extra, some extra event to our life, rather redeeming every moment that God ordains, God, what are you inviting me into today? And so for us, I hope we continue to see our world. I hope we continue to see the world we're planted in. And and there was a video that struck me recently uh, as I think about what it means to see our world. Phil, could you play that video for us? He asked real people if they'd help us with an experiment for Febreze Fabric Refresher. They agreed. Relax, take some nice deep breaths. What do you smell? Lilac. Clean. There's something that's really fresh. A little bit beachy. Like children's blankets. Smells like home. Okay, take your blindfolds off. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Hello? And a now new and improved Febreze Fabric Refresher with up to two times the odor elimination. So you can breathe happy, guaranteed. So the biblical writers tell us about this. We live in a common grace world where God's grace still operates. There's a day coming where that won't be true, but right now we still live in a world where there's common grace, and yet people are blinded with all the depravity that's around them. They've sprayed maybe a little Febreze to cover the scent, but they're in a broken world apart from Christ. They're blinded to what's actually taking place all around them. They're looking to fill that God-shaped hole in their life. Do we see our world looking for hope and actually trying to find what they believe will bring happiness to their soul, though it won't? How do we discover that? We actually listen to our world. We've been talking about the four H's around here. The heart, listening for people's hearts. What do you do for fun? And your history, tell me your story of of how you've arrived at this place in life. Your hurts, what would you change about your life and your hopes? What are your dreams? What are you dreaming about? And hopefully we would see our world, listen to our world with the hopes of understanding our world. Because why? Paul tells us, here's what he said in Ephesians. He said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, do you see our world? Do you listen to our world and then have a heart to love our world because such were some of you, Paul says. And so everywhere we go, we long to tell these many gospel stories. We long to live as everyday missionaries in our Monday to Saturday. I was on a plane just recently to Kansas City and, uh, and I was on my way back and wouldn't you know, I struck up a conversation with the person next to me. And some of you said, it's because they're trapped sitting next to you, David. And I go, maybe, maybe, or just having conversations. And we began walking through these ideas, creation designed for good and how life was meant to be. Damaged by evil, what's wrong with the world, restored for better. The cross, God's remedy, and, and the new creation, he will return. And we began talking about what it means to be made in the image of God. And, and how, how they decided that, What's good for you is good for you. I'm glad that faith works for you, David. And as we talked, I just asked, so how can you make any determination about what's for good? Why would we say to the Muslims beating women in the streets for, wearing, for not wearing hijabs, why would we say that's okay? Why would we say it's okay to strip mine the planet? What makes that a right or wrong thing to do? Why would we affirm or not affirm abortion as a tactic to be used? Why would we long for what it means for marriage to be made in God's image, one man and one woman? What, what, what gives us any ground for me? It's rooted in creation. We are made in the image of God. And she, she walked away saying, I, I don't agree. But she said these words that, that struck me. She said, that makes a lot of sense. I don't agree. But no one's ever told me that. Jesus entrusts us with the greatest message ever told to be everyday missionaries in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our world, helping people find restoration and healing. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up. And I want to pray that prayer over us about God, what might you be inviting us into this week? In the midst of our calendars, in the midst of our appointment, might God have someone or something he has for you? And so as I pray, I'd encourage you, who is that one? People helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. God, what might you be inviting us into this week? So let me pray that over us as we continue. God, you are so kind and generous to take the scales from our eyes. May we pray with greater desperate dependence, God, what might you have for us in the midst of all of our activity, activities at home and in our workplaces, believing that you are using us, you've trusted us with the hope, the truth, the joy of your gospel. God, what might you be inviting us into today? Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.